So what direction did you take after school? Did you go straight to, <coughs> to further studies to university? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I did A-levels and yeah, I went straight to Oxford to do maths. And that was, um, I was, the school advised me that Oxford was a good place and the college, St. Catherine's College, they said we've had people go there before, but well, they'd had one person go there before and thought that was that was okay and I think it was there were, there was good good maths tutors there um, so yeah and I did I did the the entry exam for Oxford and on the basis of that and then you go up for the interview and they you know you, you get asked hard maths questions so this is in about uh, probably about December of the upper sixth year um, so I can remember going off on the train up to Oxford. You're by yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I imagine that. Scared? Um, not really no, scared, no. no. No, quite excited, I think, and, yeah. it, and a bit, a little bit overfaced, I suppose, because it was a challenging thing. But no, I, I can remember there, there were several of us from the school, there's probably half a dozen who went, so it was, didn't, on, so yeah, on my own, but not with, not with any adults. Yeah. Um, and we stayed in the college so that was like okay. quite interesting. The night before you, st yeah, okay. yeah, and, and then you had and they had se several interviews in different colleges, just, you know, and they did the same sorts of things. They just sort of asked you hard maths questions. Yeah, and I mean they asked you a bit about other stuff, you know, what you're interested in and yeah. things like that. But it was mainly. Did you have to answer maths to that? What are you interested in, maths? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, what do you do when yeah. you ask questions like yeah. that? You give the answer you think they want, don't you? Yeah. It's not the truth. So I think I thought what you're supposed to do is show that you're interested in more than just maths. Yeah. Uh, I may even have mentioned Bertrand Russell. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever I thought would have been impressive, I can't actually remember. And uh, on the, anyway, on the basis of that, so I got an offer which was two E's, so I didn't have to get any A-levels at that point. I know. What? <coughs> yeah. They, they made me what was they put basically an unconditional offer. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, they, so you got a place, as long as you, you had to get two E's to get a grant, because again, in those days, yeah. you used to get a grant to go to university. Yeah. Imagine that, kids. Yeah. So <laughs> All the kids listening <laughs> to this podcast, yeah. Well, of course the kids will yeah. be listening, yeah. Yeah. They, um, so yeah, so I had to get two E's. So that kind of took the pressure off. Yeah. And I got my got my two E's, but yeah, you know, slightly better. And off I went in October up to Oxford. Which did you was, did you try as hard as you would have done then? With that yeah, offer? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I did. Um, I didn't try so hard in the chemistry. I must admit, actually, I did let off did, a bit. Did your dad disappointed? I think he was a bit disappointed, actually. Yeah. Um, he, he would never say that, but I think um, I, I couldn't quite see the point of chemistry. If I'm honest, it seemed a bit tedious and, yeah. and boring. So I didn't, um, <coughs> I didn't get an A in chemistry, but I got an A in the other three. So off you went. To off I went. Yeah. And then um, is that where? So you you do a bit of rowing. Yes. And is that where you started? That is. Yeah. So. In Oxford, rowing's a really big thing. It's a big, popular sport that kind of everyone does or has a go at, more yeah. or less. And so there I was, and you know, you have the sort of freshest week and, and, you know, meeting people and joining clubs that you have no intention of ever going to again, that yeah. kind of thing. And 
I must have just thought, I suppose maybe because I was tall or maybe just because a group of people that I was, I'd made friends with were going to give it a go or whatever. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. Why not? I've got to lose. And I'd never done, I hadn't, literally hadn't done any sport at school. I, I was, uh, apart from playing football at, at lunchtime, lunchtime yeah. which we've established, I didn't ever do, you know, PE, we were forced to play rugby. Yeah. which I hated and again because I was tall I had to be a, had to be a prop yeah which is like you know I mean there must be the rough end of business more unpleasant ways to get your ears pulled off and yeah and yeah but anyway so I didn't I, but I had to do that so I was I was deliberately hopeless at that you know right. if the ball came to me I would just sort of <laughs> drop it or yeah. give it away that kind of thing so I never got picked for any teams and I can remember also we had to do cross country and I was one of the ones who would just sort of walk around and arrive, you know, an hour after everyone else when the teachers were completely fed up and yeah. get lost, deliberately get lost on the way and that kind of thing. So I was I was really not interested in yeah. PE or sport then. Um, but I thought, well, for, for the social, you know, I'll, I'll have a go at this rowing. Everyone else is doing it. It's a fun thing to do. And then I found that uh, I was actually quite enjoying it. I was quite good at it. Yeah. Uh, the group of friends that I was with there became um, they became my friendship group really and so I was drawn in and, yeah. and college rowing started to get a bit more serious okay and college rowing is you know there's there's sort of every level of, of um, skill and, and dedication that you could wish for from from people who just dabble to people who are reasonably good yeah and um, how far did you get <coughs> Did you make the first eight? So no, I didn't. Ugh. Is the story. So and I, I at that point when it started to get really heavy, I was really just trying to survive because the the amount of training I was doing yeah. was just killing me. I wasn't able to. If we had a test or something, yeah. I wasn't able to really focus and think. Right, I've got to do really well here. I was thinking, how can I get away with not killing right. myself on this and still? And so were you finding yourself? not enjoying maths and now not enjoying the thing that was taking um, over no i was enjoying it yeah no i was i was pretty committed to it right but um but i think through doing that i learned that you can take on something that's hard and that isn't kind of easily within your grasp to be successful at and you can commit to yeah. it yeah and work hard at it and and really put your all into it in the hope that you succeed but with no guarantee yeah. and I think in the past I'd always thought that you had to you know it was only really worth trying if you knew you were going to win right. a bit choose your battles wisely yeah I was a bit a bit strategic like that or tactical yeah. and this wasn't because I knew that I was really up against it I knew I really wanted it I was right on the margin of being successful and I could see people around me and it was partly I think Americans in the squad for example who had a, a bit of a different attitude they didn't they weren't afraid to be seen yeah. to be really trying hard yeah. okay so the Brits were a bit sort of cool uh, yeah and uh, not wanting to make it look like it was too much of an effort yeah but there were people from you know Australians Americans and other nationalities and they weren't they weren't afraid to be seen okay. to be really working hard so that I think was where I learned that working hard is a good thing yeah you know to age 21 or whatever and after <coughs> oxford you went to king's college is that the right order okay yeah so that was a bit later okay so what you at what point did you think you might like to get into teaching mm. was that during oxford okay that come yeah no that came later actually so um 
you're going to have to do a fair bit of editing on this, I think, aren't you? Because it's, it's getting a bit long-winded. <laughs> but that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> I um, yeah, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I got, as I say, quite disillusioned. So I got to basically got to the last cut with the rowing, yeah. and then was told, "Thank you very much for all your hard work, but uh, we don't need you." Mm. And so that was that was disappointing and quite hard. And then I was back to so this was about I guess. February or something of my final year and and my focus hadn't really been on my study and I had to retrieve a degree out of yeah. um, being quite behind really with most of my third year not having done much and I wasn't I didn't really quite have the appetite for it if I'm honest I, I thought okay uh, I need to just do the minimum I can get away with here and hopefully get a degree mm-hmm. but I didn't uh, I didn't really work hard at that at that point and I did I just scraped a degree I got a I got a second yeah so they didn't have um, two, two, seconds two, weren't differentiated yeah. in Oxford in those days but it was a, it would have been a 2-2 two, two, had it been and in fact I think quite a low 2-2 two, two. it was right. a, a bit marginal um, there was quite a quite a bit of kudos in in getting a third as well you know that was a, that was a gentleman's <laughs> third you know, that was a kind of honorable thing but obviously a second is more more valuable for a whole lot of things anyway so I got a second <coughs> and I was reasonably happy and I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do I'd, I'd given up the idea of being Bertrand mm-hmm. Russell at this point or a rower um, yeah I wasn't going to be I just wasn't going to be big enough to be a heavyweight rower yeah and um, and also it was something that you had if you were going to do it you had to it was quite be quite single minded yeah. you know, so we were tra- training I don't know six hours a day six days a week it's not really compatible with doing yeah. much else in Any your life, life yeah. uh, or to, or you'd if you didn't do that, you'd be doing it at a lower level, yeah. and that didn't also didn't feel very attractive. So I actually stopped rowing, <coughs> and uh, yeah, I was kind of drifting around and stayed on in Oxford because that's where my friends were, and there was a lot of easy work to be had in the private tutoring businesses oh, right so again in Oxford there are all these colleges well call it they call themselves colleges I mean they're of a quite sort of variable quality and reputation but there were a lot of kids who basically failed A levels and needed to retake okay. and they went to one of these colleges in Oxford some of them were residential yeah um, and, and their parents paid a lot of money for them to basically be crammed to retake their maths okay. A level, and you were a tutor, and so I could I could easily get work as a tutor okay. doing that, and it, you know you could just do whatever hours you wanted, yeah, and you got paid quite a lot of money per hour for doing it, and it was easy work, yeah, you know because you you just had to get these kids to not fail their maths A level again, and actually I found I quite enjoyed it, yeah, and one of the places that I worked in was a bit more of a, a a proper college I suppose they mainly catered for overseas students so they were mostly I think from the Middle East and they wanted to go to UK universities so they needed A-levels so they hadn't taken it before right. they weren't retaking they were doing it from scratch and they were um, they were kind of looked after by the college so it was a bit like a sort of international sixth form I suppose right. small classes there were like eight in a in a class, something like that. Oh, so it's not one-to-one tutoring. No, okay. this was this was different, mm-hmm. um, and I had to teach and actually teach the A-level curriculum because with no training. No training. No, no, no. That's right. Absolutely no training at all. 
and just make it up. So he was given a textbook, right? And here's what you have to do. Kind what, of thing. What was your style then? Did did, did you just work <coughs> through the textbook? Yeah, pretty much. Work, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember really. I, I remember quite enjoying doing that, finding it quite satisfying. Yeah. And there were there, there, there were other uh, teachers, I guess, or tutors. I don't know what they would have been called in the in the place. But there wasn't a sense of um, collegiality or support. Yeah. You know, I can remember one one guy who was there, and um, I don't know if I'd asked for advice or if he'd just offered it. But he basically said. Uh, my best advice to you is is what I was told when I started teaching, which is that when you when you start writing on the whiteboard, start at the top left <laughs> and go along and then down until you filled it. That was it. <laughs> that was his advice. Top advice. But nevertheless, you you thought that you might like to become a teacher there. Yeah. So so doing that made me think, okay, this is quite fun. Yeah. And I knew I could just carry on because it it was good money and it was you know they'd have been happy to keep me. But I thought. I might as well go and do a PGCE because right. that way you learn how to do this properly. Yeah, that's what I thought anyway. And bottom line, I could go back to doing that if and I wanted to, or maybe yeah. that would just open up another possibility. Okay. And you went to King's College, and was that because of the ties, the links with your, your dad having? Right. No, no. So um, why did I go to King's College? So I uh, I did start applying to do PGCEs. And I actually did apply to Oxford and they rejected me because they thought I wanted to just carry on rowing. <laughs> yeah. And they'd had right. bad experiences of people doing a PhD as a, uh, a PGCE as a way of just allowing them to continue rowing right. for the university and obviously not doing their study. And they, I wasn't able to persuade them that that wasn't what I planned to do, yeah. which it wasn't what I planned to do. But anyway, they, that was their their decision so they they turned me down and I think Kings was just one on my list actually I don't think it was a particularly favoured choice mm -hmm. I think I thought um, it'd be quite interesting to be in London for a bit yeah and I think I thought it looked a good program I think the maths there had a good reputation I must have done a bit of homework but I don't think I researched it very thoroughly okay so you and was Dylan William at Kings at that point time mm. then and so it wasn't you didn't know anything of, of Dylan Williams no at that point. well Dylan hard to believe now but he wasn't remotely famous at that <laughs> point he was a just a junior I don't think he'd been there that long and he wasn't particularly senior in the in the department he was you know a young guy who'd just come out of teaching yeah he'd been a head of department in at least one London school yeah. tough London schools and he so he could kind of cut it in the in that wild world yeah. that was London schools at that time, yeah. And, and what was his role? Was he? He, he was one of the tutors. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was just part of a team, and he wasn't, you know. Um, he, he, there was no reason to think that he was anything very special, I suppose, at that point. Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was an interesting guy, definitely. I remember yeah. that, and he had lots of uh, deep thoughts about things, and I can remember being quite sort of challenged by him mm -hmm. in that. And I also did, as part of my PGC, I had an opportunity to do a kind of elective projects at the end when you'd done all your teaching practice and you'd done all your, the, the essays that you had to do. You had to do some sort of, well, they put on courses and things, but you could choose to do something that they hadn't put on. Yeah, okay. And um, I chose to do one that he supervised 
on something like I don't know philosophy of maths education or something like that. So it was back to my yeah. philosophy, and uh, I can remember having interesting discussions with him about that. Yeah. And I also chose, and this would be I think maybe surprising to do, was to um, a course that was run by Guy Claxton, who was also oh, really? at Kings at that time. Right. Yeah. Um, on it was called Radical Alternatives to School. And this was all about what what and in those days were called free schools, very different from the <laughs> okay. free schools today. And they were free because they were schools where there literally weren't any rules. The kids could just turn up and do what they wanted. And right. the most famous one of these was Summerhill, which was a school in Suffolk that had been started in the 1930s by this guy called A.S. Neal, who'd had this idea that school was really repressive yeah. And he he had this kind of Freudian um, psychology background as well, and he thought you know repression was a was a bad thing. People yeah. should be free to be the you know whole humans in the way they want to be. Uh, were they funded these schools? Well, they were. The so Summerhill was a, was essentially a private school, right? And it catered for people who thought that they uh, that you know they wanted an alternative to what they could find in. In other schools, yeah. and it was really interesting. He wrote a book about it called Some Hill, and I'd actually read that while I was doing this tutoring thing, right. and that was part of what made me want to be a teacher because my own school had been very authoritarian, you know, boys' grammar school, and um, very formal, and obviously that had suited me quite well. I'd done well out of it, but I hadn't enjoyed that. You know, the relationships with the mm -hmm. teachers were were not; they weren't. Um, they weren't rich or pleasant, you know. They were, they were, they were really authoritarian, and and they and they were quite sort of bullying. I thought, and and the whole environment was quite unpleasant. And I knew I didn't want to be a teacher like that. Yeah, okay. I wanted to be kind of down with the kids a bit, I suppose. And so reading Summerhill was like, okay, maybe school doesn't have to be like that because the the rules in Summerhill are that all the, every person in the school is equal. So from the five year old kid to the head teacher. Yeah. They all have the same uh, influence in the decision-making process. And what was happening in these schools then by way of teaching and learning? Well, they put on some teaching, right. and if the kids wanted it, they turned up. So they might try and persuade a child that it was a good idea to learn to read. Right. And if they did persuade them that, and the child had the interest in doing it, then the teacher would help them. But if they didn't, if they'd rather go and play in the woods... Then they, they went and played in the woods. I'd never heard of. Okay, school. it's bizarre, yeah. So were they short-lived? No. So Summerhill started in the 1930s, and there were several others. There were one or two other examples, but that was the, like the famous one. Yeah. And it was still going at this point in the 1986 or whatever it was. I was doing my PGCE. Yeah. So during this this elective course, one of the things I did was I went there to visit and had a look at it. And at that point, it was mostly the kids there were either kids who'd been kicked out of local authority schools, right. and they were local authority was paying their fees as a way of providing an education for them, mm. somewhere for them to be, yeah, basically. to be a bit wild, and it, so it was a kind of taming ground for for wild kids, right. mixed in with where the whole, wild things are, yeah, yeah, mixed in with a whole lot of kids from Japan and East Asian countries 
where who were reacting against a very authoritarian or what they saw as a very yeah, um, yeah, yeah. prescribed tightly controlled and what, form of education what are their results then at Summerhill well so what they say about that is they point to people who've been very successful and they certainly did have some people who'd gone on to do very well gone mm. on to university and things like that um, but you know this is a time before league tables and yeah, yeah. and they some of them would take O levels and A levels as they then were and but some of them wouldn't and what was your view of <coughs> having right. been and visited and read about it um, I thought there were interesting things there I, I liked the the kind of respect that, that they had yeah. for the kids and the um, the responsibility that they gave to the kids but I did have I was a little uncomfortable about the um, the kinds of choices you know how do you protect them against making bad choices yeah and and and, and also you know making I think you have to allow kids to make bad choices but they have to have bad consequences yeah you know, small bad consequences in order to, for them to learn that that was a bad choice. I suppose it's quite interesting in that if the teachers had to sell the idea or yeah. the value of education, that really makes you um, think of innovative ways to do yes. that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think, well, actually, I think in some ways the 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 reverse of that actually, because when they did teach lessons, they were quite boring. Right. Okay. And I think that. They, they didn't need to you know if you're teaching in a in a mainstream secondary school where you've got kids who don't want to be there then you 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 do feel the pressure I certainly did that you've got to be a bit entertaining and yeah, yeah. and kind of draw them in because otherwise you, you're ending up you'll, you'll have more disciplinary problems than you would have had yeah whereas in that environment you could be as boring as you like because if the kids weren't engaged just walk out. they could just walk away so I think actually it almost worked the other way for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I thought it was an interesting thing to have in the landscape of education. Mm -hmm. Just actually in the same way that I think free schools that we have now are an interesting thing yeah. to have in the landscape of education. You know, some of them are quite interesting models and very yeah. different, radical, and very successful. So a good I way think. of shaking things up and yeah. looking at different yeah. ways of. That's right. Of yeah running a school yeah right. so it's a kind of disruptive constructive disruptive influence and nice to have but I didn't think it provided a model for for mass education okay. but there were so there were a few of these and there was one in London that was local uh, authority so that was this was ILEA days right. and they ran one of these and again it was a um, a place for kids who you know weren't coping in in other schools so they were yeah. using it as a kind of uh, you know behavioral unit I suppose yeah um, and if you go to special schools, behavioural units, you know, there is much more. There, there aren't rules being yeah. imposed on kids. You know, there's much more negotiation and, and um, respect in an obvious way yeah. that you don't see in mainstream schools yeah. so much. You know, it's kind of do this and don't argue. Yeah, interesting. Do you, do you ever see yourself as... <coughs> You know, putting yourself in a position of running a free school. Do you have you ever thought through <laughs> how would I go about doing it? Then? I mean, this old style. Right. Principle. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think I, I I was attracted to it. I thought it was an interesting thing. I'm pleased I went to see it, but I I didn't think it was a way forward. Yeah. Even then. Yeah. And I think increasingly since then, I've thought that it you know 
social mobility is one of the one of the things that that drives people in education and seems important yeah and this is not a way to do it this is, is this is a cop out as far as redressing imbalances and yeah in society um, which I, I think I thought then and I, I still think now yeah. so okay. I don't think it's the way forward but it is interesting and I do think being able to have um, human relationships yeah. between teachers and pupils is is pretty important actually and I know that's constrained and yes you're a teacher it's not you know you're not a real person and you have to have rules and so on but you can do it in a way that's respectful to another human being yeah. even if they're just a child so why um so moving through now to yeah to way where you came on to work so why did you go then to Cambridge <coughs> to do uh, maths and okay you fancy teaching right. you didn't necessarily need to gain any more qualifications so I did um, I, I did so I did the PGCE and then as okay what am I, I'm gonna go and teach in a school and they were really the um, the ethos at Kings then it was really all about going into these tough schools to do good stuff in, in a lot of them in London yeah. um, I actually ended up moving to Manchester uh, my partner at the time there was um, well actually she was training to do a PGCE at, at Manchester um, so I got a job there and taught in a in a girls 11 to 16 comprehensive in inner city Manchester that was a bit of a baptism of fire uh, in all sorts of ways I mean it was quite a good school in many ways but it was quite rough and the maths department was pretty shocking it didn't really have um, there wasn't a lot of support there in within my department yeah. specifically so yeah that was that was a tough time I quite enjoyed that I think but it was definitely really challenging and um, and then I moved to another job um, in Cambridge another teaching job and that was a sixth form college right and again was that a choice I suppose it was a bit but it was it was just the job that came up and I quite enjoyed that so then you didn't have so much of the the um, the authority and the yeah. school rules and things like that was a bit Less more relaxed yeah. so I quite enjoyed that I think I quite enjoyed the fact that it was there was quite a lot available teaching but it wasn't all A-level there was a lot of re GCSE retakes yeah. at that point um, quite a lot of my time was GCSE retakes which is an interesting um, quite a sort of soul destroying had you started as a teacher to engage with research then? No, no, okay. not not in the slightest. No, so I wasn't interested in research at all. How did I come to do do the masters? I don't really quite know. Actually, I think I maybe I was just still hanging on to this this intellectual identity that that hadn't quite died with right. the, the Bertrand Russell dream. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, maybe I was trying to follow in my, my dad's footsteps a bit I don't know but anyway I, there was something about a higher degree that appealed to me and so I did I signed up to do a, an MPhil I was living in Cambridge so that was kind of convenient signed up to do an MPhil in maths education and um, yeah quite enjoyed doing that right you know writing academic essays and okay. reading and, and did you teach again after that yes you did okay yeah so, you went so then I went back into teaching and that was a, another six form college and um, well actually first of all I went to I taught for a, a short spell it's about a term in a, a selective private school in Cambridge purse which again was really interesting and I, I would have 
at that point I would have said if someone had said oh you know would you ever apply for a job in a, a private school I'd said no of course yeah, not no, yeah. don't be ridiculous I wouldn't do that but I was I was at, I didn't have a job and this one came up and it was just a temporary post to fill in for someone who was ill and that but that was also really interesting there was so much difference in the in the a way the way they thought about different issue you know policy things yeah. they weren't just following the latest fashion it was much yeah. more uh, kind of anchored in tradition I suppose for better or worse and they also they had they seemed to really celebrate excellence in a way that the schools that I'd worked in didn't you know so if you got um, I mean in sport that was really evident but even in academic stuff you know so if you got a string of really good grades that was something that everyone in the school was was really excited about yeah, and they would yeah. you know so they'd have these assemblies where they'd talk about how well these kids had done and that kind of thing yeah and I, I can remember just thinking that other places I taught everyone would just be cringing because you know that you were singling somebody out yeah. as being really special and enjoying and making um, something yeah and and you know everyone would just be hiding if they had got that string of A's they would they wouldn't no one would be drawing attention to it because it would just be embarrassing yeah whereas here they were they were saying this is fantastic you know we've got all these great results yeah and celebrating the individual and they were genuinely proud of it and the, and not just the individual was proud but their peers were also genuinely supportive supportive and, and respectful and yeah and delighted and that felt like okay how do they manage to do that then because that I, I hadn't seen that in other places it had yeah. been oh, we, we mustn't single out any individual for praise because that will make the others feel a bit less special yeah. kind of thing that seemed yeah. like an alternative different way of thinking about that and so <laughs> then from from there at some point you got yeah you must have got interested in education research because then you went on to yes to, to, to do, do a PhD, a PhD at yeah so I think so I went back into teaching then and I ended up teaching in Surrey in Godalming and um, I think yeah that term did I get into interested in education I got interested in a particular problem which was about Alice so the A-level information yeah. system which the college that I was in was using I Alice see, right and so we were getting all this data and I was given a responsibility point for looking after the data that came <coughs> the yeah. Alice data and helping and the the college was really aware that they weren't doing they weren't doing much with it the data came in and then it sort of sat there and in some departments there was quite a lot of work being done and others it was just ignored yeah. so they asked me to take on a role of sort of promoting good use of it across all the departments in the college I didn't know that right and so I was playing around with all this data and thinking well this is really interesting yeah we can look at you know I can look at my teaching group and I can see how much value added have we got there and I can look at all my colleagues and see what about them you know am I am I doing as well as, yeah. as the other teachers in my department and I can look at the other departments and I can see what's going on there and they, they can look at particular individual students and see how are they doing how are they doing in their maths compared to their physics or their English yeah um, how are they uh, kids overall doing um, you know all the stuff that that we know now or I know now comes from Alice and so I was there at the sort of user end and I I suppose I started getting interested in the question of this this seemed like a, a, a sort of fun to play with 
but at any point does anyone benefit from having it that was the question that yeah. started forming in my head you know the you can you can do a lot of processing of data and producing reports and having discussions with heads of departments and and you know the vice principal of the college or whatever about what we should be doing with it but do we really know that any student's grades are better mm -hmm. as a result of having this as opposed to not having it or doing certain things with it as opposed to not doing certain things with it and that became a question that I think because this the seed of research had been a bit sown in doing the masters yeah that, that looked like an obvious way out way forward and I can remember speaking to um, Ken Ruthven who was the tutor on my uh, maths masters yeah. and he said oh there's this unit in Newcastle who are doing really good work there Carol Fitzgibbon yeah okay go and talk to her and so I can remember meeting Carol at a training event for for teachers which I signed up to as a teacher yeah and talking to her and thinking oh she seems really interesting yeah and uh, that discussion then going on and turning into okay this could be a PhD okay and applying then and to the Newcastle to go and do a PhD which is where Ken was at that yes. point which is part of Newcastle University okay so I applied to Newcastle and started my PhD at Newcastle oh really yeah and then Carol and then you along yeah, to Durham. Carol and the whole of Ken moved to Durham in that first year and I moved with it so oh. yeah so there's another university you can add to my list of <laughs> mystery shop so that brings us to Durham okay yeah finally and I, <laughs> I'm actually funnily enough I'm gonna ask you some quick fire questions all right before we move on I'll try so quick I'm fire. gonna yeah quick questions quick answers so uh, tea or coffee both no tea or coffee can't choose oh, right this is like a, a desert island yeah can I have one mm, probably tea yeah reading or maths as in for pleasure Ooh, both <laughs> you're not quite getting the nature of this assessment <laughs> it's quite okay for pleasure well yeah. probably reading okay yeah um, what skill would you like to master what skill um, oh, well there's skills that I'm I'm working on Oh, yeah. Am I allowed to count yeah. them? Yeah. So, uh, well, in rowing, uh, um, yeah. single sculling, I'd like to be much better at that. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to learn to use R, which is a analysis language for data, which um, I'm finding quite intriguing and, and becoming a bit more skilled. But I've only really just started. Okay. So um, that's that's yeah, that's that's quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, favorite book. Favorite book. Hmm. Well, I'm going to say Ulysses, James Joyce. Okay. Oxford or Cambridge? <laughs> well, uh, Oxford. What's, what's your reliability on a scale? Give us a number. Reliability. Um, Are you 0 0.68? 0 0.78? Mm, no, I'm, I'm a probably a 0 0.7. 0.7? Um, you have to sing a song. You have to sing a song at a karaoke. What do you choose? Uh, what would I choose? I, goodness, only knows. Probably something by Elvis. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, um, a little less conversation, maybe. Let's go for that. Okay. <laughs> uh, which do you prefer, talking about research findings to people, or uh, analysing data? Analysing data. Any plans for a book? Not currently. 
Well, lots of sort of half plans of things I'd like to do one day, but nothing I'm seriously working on, yeah. Um, uh, another career that you might like to have had? Another career? Um, I don't know. I don't, don't think I've really even had a career yet. I'm wait, <laughs> right, still okay. waiting for one to... Okay. And at this point, can you give us another song from that sort of stage okay. of your life that we've just got? Right. Um, okay, yeah. So I've got... Um, Hard to know quite how to, but I, I'm, I'm going to choose the Bark Cello Suites, which is a whole long thing. You're probably not allowed to choose the whole of that. Right. Um, certainly, if you know the rules of Desert Island Disc, I know you have to choose one yeah. little bit. What do you don't mean, you? this isn't Desert Island Discs. <laughs> I don't know why, why, why you're drawing okay. comparisons. <laughs> I'm assuming the same rules apply, but maybe they don't. So, this is, um, I, as I mentioned already, I, I played the cello as yeah. a child, and this okay. is one of the pieces that I did play quite badly but I suppose when you work at something like that you, you get to know it in quite a different way and okay. quite to like it so it's the second suite that I uh, played a little bit and um, if I had to choose one bit of that I'd probably choose the Allemande so you know that's a, a I don't know, two minute bit that you could okay. fit in cello suite number two Allemande and if you've got a if you've got a choice of who's playing it, I'll have the Rostropovich. Mm -hmm. 